Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity uh, to share your word with your people here. And I pray that uh, by your Holy Spirit, you will open our hearts and our minds, our ears and our eyes to hear and to see, to see and to receive what you want to say. In Christ's name, for his glory. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. What might God be saying to our world today in a time like this? A time of war in Europe. We're all concerned about that. A time of, uh, where we've just gone through two years of a terrible uh, pandemic. What, what might God be saying to us in these things? In uh, one of his writings, C.S. Lewis, uh, who served in World War I, he was in the trenches in World War I as a 19-year-old. He saw the effects of, of war, and then he lived through World War II. One of his writings he talks about in his Screwtape Letters, um, he says that during a time of war, one of the great weapons of our spiritual enemy, Satan, is taken away from him. And that great weapon, he says, is worldly contentedness. To be content with the world. To think that this world has all I need. Yes, we are to appreciate the gifts that God gives us in this world. But in times of war, in times of pandemic and plague, it's as if God is saying to the world, wake up. There's more. Your hope needs to go beyond the things of this world. And so maybe it's a time for God to speak to us about things of eternal consequences. Maybe there's in our hearts a... a a greater sense of urgency about those things concerned with eternal salvation. And so today I want to look at what Jesus teaches about salvation, how Jesus describes eternal salvation. And again, maybe given the circumstances of our world today, we are at a place where... Uh, these words have a greater sense of import for us. Jesus, it says in Luke 13:22, is going on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, it says that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He is headed to Jerusalem to accomplish the mission that God the Father has given him. To secure salvation for his people, for all who put their trust and faith in him. He's going to suffer and die on the cross and be raised on the third day in order to secure our salvation. And then someone, as he makes his way, someone, verse 23, says to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? The question is raised about salvation, the scope of salvation. Will those who are saved be few? As Jesus makes his way 
to Jerusalem to win salvation. And then what follows is Jesus' response to this question. He takes this question as an opportunity to describe the salvation that he brings. Let's listen to what Jesus says about it. First, he describes it as a narrow door. Verse 24. Strive to enter the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Jesus doesn't say that there are many doors or many ways. He says there's a door. And it's narrow. He says something similar at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So, a popular view today is that there are Many paths to God, many doors, many ways to get to God. But Jesus doesn't teach that. Jesus says that, no, there's a a narrow way, uh, one door. And he is that way. He is that door. He says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And today people hear that and they say, well, that's, that's, a, that's an arrogant position to have. And we don't want to be arrogant. We don't want to be prideful against those who um, believe differently than we do when it comes to matters of faith. And certainly we don't want to be. Uh, pride is not a Christian characteristic. <laughs> it's not a Christian trait to be prideful towards others. Humility is what we're called. To be. We're called to be humble. We're called to humility in dealing with all people, no matter what their beliefs are. But the Christian message, the biblical message of salvation is, is different from what the world thinks. It's not that we seek God and find Him. It's that God seeks us to save us. God is the one who seeks and saves. In the covenant reading, we read this, the, the reading from the Old Testament where God makes a covenant with Abraham. God initiates the covenant. God takes the initiative. And so the biblical view of salvation is that God is the one in his mercy and in his grace who reveals to us the way of salvation. And that's actually a much more humble view. Because it says, I have to humble myself to receive what God has offered. The door, the way that he has offered is available in Jesus Christ. And then then, uh, Jesus says here that we are to strive to enter through the narrow door. The word that's translated there is, Strive in the Greek is the word we get. Our, we get our word agonize from this word agonize. And, and the picture here in, in, in Greek, they use this term to, 
to talk about an athletic competition or contest. Uh, like wrestling. In, in a wrestling match, they're agonizing, they're struggling, they're exerting effort. And Jesus uses that word to describe something of the process of salvation. Yes, salvation is a gift of God. It is a work of grace from beginning to end. But then there is something that we're called to do. There's a human responsibility involved in responding to the way of salvation that God gives, the open door. And Jesus describes that response as a, as a kind of agony, as a kind of striving. Why? Because the salvation that Jesus offers says, do not put your trust in yourself, put your trust in me. And that can be agonizing for people because we want to trust ourselves. In fact, one of the most popular views of salvation in our culture today is that you are divine. And if you just look within yourself, it's about the self, you can find salvation within. Jesus teaches something different. The scripture teaches something different. Look away from yourself and look to the promises of God. What he's revealed. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed the promises of God. And here in Christ, God is offering the promise of salvation. We're to look away from ourselves and believe in him. That can be agonizing to not trust the self. And to turn away from the things of this world. And no longer put our faith and trust and hope in the things of this world, to turn away from a life of sin, that can be an agonizing process for people. Because sin brings pleasure momentarily, temporarily. And we're called to lay that down as we come to Christ. So there's an agony involved here, you see. In a, in a great illustration of that agonizing process, is uh, the rich young ruler in Luke 18. You remember the story of the rich young ruler who was interested in following Jesus? And uh, who, at least in his own estimation, the rich young ruler lived a moral life and was obeying the commandments of God. All these I've kept, he says to Jesus, from my youth. And then Jesus, on hearing this, he said to the rich young ruler, one thing you still lack. You see, there's still a place in your life that you haven't given over. A still a, an idol in your heart that you haven't laid down. And it was his wealth. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. See, the rich young ruler faced an agonizing decision at that point. Am I going to let go of the very thing that gives me security and status and identity. I'm going to leave that behind. Or am I going to find my identity, my status, and put my hope in Christ? And it says that the rich young ruler, when he heard these things, he became very sad. He became sad because he was extremely rich. It's an agonizing decision. And so that, that's one way that the Lord describes salvation. It's a narrow way. 
a narrow door. There's not many doors. It comes through Him. And we are to turn to Christ in repentance and faith. We're to continue throughout our life. This life of trusting in Christ, not the self. And turning from finding our security and our identity in the things of this world. And so that, that's described as sort of an agonizing narrow way. Not too many people want to take that way. And then he describes it as a matter of urgency. A matter of urgency. This salvation is a matter of urgency, of personal urgency. When he says, I tell you, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer, I don't know where you've come from. Right now, the door is open. The way of salvation is available. But there is coming a day, he says, when that door is going to be shut. That day, in, in, in terms of individuals, is the moment of death. The door is shut to take the way of salvation. And in the grand scheme of things, in terms of the history of the world, there's coming a day, the final day, the final day of history, when Christ comes again as the judge of the living and the dead, and that door will be shut. And so Jesus is saying, this is an urgent message that everyone needs to take seriously. There comes a day when the door is going to be shut. It won't be open again. And he says that uh, there are going to be people who tragically will realize what's happened, but it's going to be too late. But they're going to try to, to bargain with God. You see that in verse 26. Then you will begin to say, uh, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know where you've come from. Depart from me, you workers of evil. There were many people in Jesus' day, many of his fellow Jews, who, who did. They heard his teaching. They dined at table with him. They saw him in the synagogue. They saw him in the public arena teaching, fellowshipping. And yet, so many of them did not, did not believe him. They had contact with Jesus, but their hearts were not converted. They, they had fellowship with Jesus, but they didn't put their trust and faith in him. There is a commentator on this passage, a man named Daryl Bach, who wrote a commentary on Luke. And he tells about a time when, during his studies, he lived with his wife in Scotland, in a small village there in Scotland. And he said... Only about 850 people or so lived in this village. And they attended the local church. And he said every Sunday, there were about 30 or so people who would show up to church. Most of them over 50, older people. But then he said twice a year, this church had a Holy Communion. They only had communion twice a year. And in order to stay on the membership rolls, you had to go to church on that day. And he said, now that was the day the whole town practically came to church. They weren't really involved in church. 
They were not trying to grow in their faith in Christ throughout the year, but to stay on the membership rolls, they would go to church on that day. And he makes this comment. He says, it's a tragic, erroneous assumption to think a mere formal connection to Christ is all that one needs. A mere formal connection to Christ in order to celebrate with Christ at the end. It is an erroneous assumption to think that just a formal connection to Christ or His church is all that one needs. No, what one needs to do is to, is to strive to turn in faith and repentance and give, give his or her life over to Christ. But Jesus makes us a matter of urgency, of great concern for each person. There's an expiration here, he says. The door is open now, but one day the door will be closed. And then he talks about the salvation that he's bringing as an escape from judgment. Um, those who don't take the narrow door, the salvation that he's offering, are going to experience the judgment of God. Verse 27, he will say, I tell you, I don't know where you've come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. I don't think we can grasp this side of eternity what the condition will be like, this condition of not being in the presence of God, this condition of being told by God, depart from me. I don't think there's any way that we can... Cons I mean, maybe we can get some pictures of how terrible such a state will be when we see evil in the world. But even those whose hearts have not been turned to God in this life and who continue to reject God experience some of the goodness of God's creation. God makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. They experience something of the goodness of God in this life, even if they haven't given their heart to God. But there is coming a day when God will say to those who have not taken this narrow door, depart from me. And they won't experience anything of the goodness of God. And that is a terrible place to be. And this is why when Jesus goes... As he heads into Jerusalem, as we saw, he, he says, I, I would, would have gathered you. I wanted to, I long, he's, he's, his heart is broken for the judgment that is to come on the city that's rejected him, on the people that's rejected him. Because it's a great tragedy to experience the judgment of God. This is why the Apostle Paul in our epistle reading says, I'm saying this with tears, with tears. So, the, the salvation that God offers is an escape from the judgment that is going to come. And here again, we come up against some language that makes us uncomfortable given the culture that we're in today. We don't want to talk about judgment. And of course, we are not the ultimate judge. God is. We don't 
but we don't want to hear or talk about judgment or exclusion. But notice who's being excluded here. Workers of evil. Workers of evil. Depart from me, you workers of evil. In the kingdom of God, there won't be a place for people who have given themselves over to working evil. Because in the kingdom of God, it's going to be a place of beauty, goodness, light, love. And so if you have people there who have given themselves over to work evil and have never turned from that, never repented, God's not going to allow them to mar, to disfigure his kingdom. And maybe, given what we're seeing right now in Europe, we can understand this idea that runs from beginning to end through Scripture, which is, if God is moral, He cannot let evil go unchecked. He's got to do something about the evil in the world. What we're seeing in Europe, for example, is a man who is doing something Evil, and he seems intent on doing it to the very end, no matter who gets hurt. Right? So we've been brought up in a culture that for, for so long has said, you can't say good or evil. There's this sort of, this moral equivalence, moral relativism that has taken hold of our consciousness here in the West. But I saw something interesting on TV the other day. Well, one of these, uh, the very, well, actually it was at the, kind of the beginning of the war in Ukraine. And uh, they had a military expert on there talking to a TV commentator. And uh, this commentator said something about what's happening in Ukraine is evil. And then she caught herself and said, well, maybe we can't say it's evil. And that's because we have been so trained, again, in moral relativism. And so it's hard for us to just say, well, something is. There is such a thing as unmitigated, pure evil that can be denounced. And the interesting thing was this expert, the military expert that they had on said, he said, no, we can call this evil. It's wrong what has been happening in Ukraine. And so sometimes at, at, at times like this, times of war, there's a moral clarity that can happen. And, and we see it working out in history. There are things that are right and wrong, and there has to be a response. Evil cannot be allowed to go unchecked. And the ultimate response to evil is God's judgment. Depart from me for those who've, who've not turned in faith and repentance, for those who continue to work evil. All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. All of us deserve to be excluded from the presence of God. But God in His mercy has made a way through Jesus Christ. Jesus took on the God-forsakenness that we should experience at the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He stood in our place. He 
receive the condemnation that we deserve so that we can be saved. And in his mercy, God offers this door, this way of salvation. And so Jesus describes the salvation as a narrow way. He describes it as a matter of great concern. He describes it as an escape from judgment. And finally, and more positively, he describes it as a feast, a global feast. He says at the end here, all people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. He's talking to Jews who assumed that they would be first in the kingdom of God. And indeed, the gospel went to them first. It's first to the Jew, but then to the Gentile. And Jesus is bringing a global salvation. Yes, it's narrow, it's exclusive because it's coming only through him, but it's offered to all people. And whoever takes this way of salvation will enjoy this feast. And so, this is an encouraging picture here at the end of a feast in the kingdom of God. No one wants to be left out of this feast. It's going to be in the kingdom of God where there will be no more tears and suffering and sorrow. What a beautiful picture. People coming from all over the globe, east and west and north and south, to recline at table in the kingdom of God. Our world is concerned, and rightly so, with unity among peoples from different backgrounds. And the gospel is the key to that unity. gospel is that key to that unity. And so, friends, let me uh, just close with a couple of application points here. Uh, First of all, this message of urgency, notice that when this person asked the message about, or asked the question about whether few will be saved, Jesus turns it around and says, don't worry about the few right now. You need to be concerned for your own salvation. I'll just offer this to you. Have you taken? Have you taken the narrow way? Have you put your complete trust and faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation and turned from your sin and repentance? And claim the salvation the way that Christ, the, the, the salvation that God has offered. Have you taken the narrow way? And if not, why not? Uh, there is coming a day when that door will be shut. But today is the day of salvation. And the other point of application, I think, for all of us is doesn't this clarify and highlight for us the urgency and the task that God has given us as Christians. And that is to share the gospel and to make this message of salvation a priority in the church and in our lives. We want to see people come through this narrow door. We want them to join the feast that God is going to make available for people from all over. And so we need to recommit ourselves in our prayer and in our work uh, to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then finally, in a time where there is great discouragement and fear about what's happening in the world, let's remember the hope that we have of eternal life in Christ. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. We are citizens of heaven, Paul says. And we have an ultimate hope. And this is a hope that Christ 
calls us to share with others. Let's not let go of that hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we thank you for the salvation that you offer in Jesus. We thank you for reminding us of these truths. I pray that we would take them seriously, each of them, into our own hearts and minds, consider them, and also, God, that we would be willing to, um, to share these truths with other people with the compassion and the conviction that you give us by your Holy Spirit. It's in his name, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.